This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and the effects these developments have on our life, our work and our travel in today's world. Today on Interlinks, we will be talking to Fred Laluyot, who is the CEO of Era Technology, a company headquartered in Mountain View, California, the heart of Silicon Valley. It's a company that works to transform the future of work through decision intelligence. And we'll find out what decision intelligence is uh, presently. So founded in 2017, uh, ERA has a global team that serves customers throughout the world, including uh, the UK and Europe, Asia Pacific and North America. And ERA works with many of the largest worldwide brands in consumer packaged goods, food, beverage, healthcare and life sciences, manufacturing and more. And Fred himself is a, a thought leader on the future of work and decision intelligence for the enterprise. Uh, and I'm delighted to have him here with us today. So you're very welcome, Fred. Uh, great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Uh, to kick things off, Fred, maybe could you share with us kind of a brief overview of, of your background and uh, what led you to start uh, Era Technology? Uh, sure, sure. So um, I started in technology right after college. So that's a few years back. Spent the last 25 years um, in the world of enterprise software, building applications to help large enterprises manage their performance. So my career took me through uh, different methodologies, approaches, techniques, technologies. Um, and I realized about 10 years back when I was working uh, at SAP um, that um, there was a, a massive tidal wave of, of transformation that was coming um, as uh, organizations were going to be forced to make more and more decisions more accurately, closer to the point of impact, closer to real time. That was led by digitization of the economy. And on the other side, uh, the people that are making those decisions, well, they, they cannot work 24-7. They're not machines. And there was an opportunity to to, to digitize a lot of those decisions with, with some uh, new and emerging technologies. So, so that's the genesis, basically, of ERA. Um, after SAP, I, 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 uh, I grew a company called Anaplan in the world of uh, data modeling and realized that uh, we needed to go from, from people uh, making decisions using data tools, collaboration platforms, bespoke applications to an era where uh, those computer systems could actually uh, make and execute decisions guided by people. So that was the that was the genesis of, of ERA uh, back in 2017. Okay, and so ERA today is working, as we said, with companies all over the world in, in multiple uh, sectors. And so what? tell me a little bit about those companies that you work with and, and what's on their minds today? What's kind of front and center for them? What kind of challenges are they facing? Yeah, I, I, I touched on this uh, when, when we launched the company, right? The realization uh, that the acceleration of, of business cycle was, uh, was a given. And, and could only go in one direction, which is faster, that the, the complexity of the decisions that have to be made is only increasing. Your companies have to think about a given problem across multiple dimensions. Um, and, and all of that is front and central and creates a lot of bottlenecks. And you compound that with at the macro level, uh, the disruptions that we've experienced recently with uh, COVID and supply chain. Um, and, and you have uh, a world where you know, the change is the only constant, the past is in depicts the future, and uh, the ability for these organizations to, to make the right calls, to make the right decisions, be it short term, do I ship this uh, 
this package that way or that way, or do I source my material here or there, um, or, or long-term decisions around how do I establish the right network uh, of suppliers around the world? Do I do I bring my my manufacturing capacity closer to my consumers? All those decisions are are front and central, and I think this is now compounded uh, again with. Uh, the 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 great resignation and that's something relatively relatively new that we've seen uh, becoming front and central to our big clients um, uh, since COVID, which is the people that are uh, uh, you know making those decisions and doing the work are just not necessarily there anymore. So you have a giant issues around uh, loss of tribal knowledge, right? People don't stay in the job long enough. Whether whether it's a, it's a blue collar job or a white collar job, that know how is actually leaving the organization. So you've got th- those those macro disruptions that are combined with uh, with the, uh, the, um, the the trends that I've just explained that are just making the life of a of a manager in a, in a large CPG life sciences manufacturing organization very complex right now. So. Uh- Gartner has recognized uh, decision intelligence as a top priority or top industry trend yeah. this year. And you yourself have been described as a, a thought leader on, on decision intelligence. But what exactly is decision intelligence and how does it help with decision making? And I, I'm kind of curious, what kind of decisions does it help with? Is it both structured and unstructured um, decisions because yeah. you know it's very diff- different say to choose between a number of valid options and maybe to make a decision where you might not even be sure what the proper question is yet so <laughs> you know what is decision intelligence and and how is it applied to those different types of decisions well yeah Gallagher just came with a with it came out with a definition of decision intelligence which can be found online I like to uh, simplify by saying it's the digitization the automation and augmentation of decision-making, right? So you take a process that's not digital, which is people uh, collaborating manually using tools to to make a decision and you digitize that process fully. Um, So my definition, our definition, and I think it clearly overlaps with the Gartner ones is the, again, the digitization, automation and augmentation of Um, decision-making. What's important is in our mind is that uh, decision intelligence goes all the way to the execution of the decisions. So it's just a, a set of practice and technology and know how to help you define and identify, I should say, what the best decision is uh, for to a given problem at any point in time, but also the ability to execute it. That's why we talk about automation. That may be where, where we slightly differ with Gartner. I don't know, it's still it's still, um, still up in the air. Um, and, and to answer your question on what types of decision, what, what, we've, uh, what we believe is that it's, and I can take the analogy of, of self-driving cars, right? You're, as an organization, you're striving to, to get into full self-driving mode where, where the, the decision intelligence platform can actually run autonomously uh, the decisions that you have to make, meaning identify the problem, whether it's timed or whether it's based on an event, when the, or the decision to be made, not necessarily a problem, it could be an optimization, but identify the decision to be made, run through, as you said earlier, the different options, select the best option based on the set of rules that have been established by the organization, uh, and then execute that uh, uh, the, the decision, uh, execute that recommendation via a decision, right? So that, that process is what we called uh, human out of the loop, where, where basically the system can run fully autonomously and do the work. Now, 
That's imagine the self-driving car. You're on the freeway. You get your hands kind of off the wheel and the car is making the decision. There is decision augmentation, which is another uh, sub-process of that where the system will deliver a recommendation to a business operator and say, hey, Patrick, I recommend that you make that decision. I've looked at all the options, but I need your eyes on it, right? Because maybe the, the impact of that uh, uh, decision is too high or touching a critical customer, whatever it is. So now you as a business operator, you receive that message from the decision intelligence platform and, and you say, okay, I accept that recommendation. I reject it, or maybe I modify it. And there is also a, another mode, which is you're leveraging the capabilities of the decision intelligence platform to make a manual decision. Maybe it's something that has not been normalized yet, not yet been defined. There is a crisis you need to react. The numbers that are flowing into the system don't make sense. And just think about it. You have to put your hands back on the wheel and make the decision yourself. And we believe that decision intelligence, well, you Everybody tries to get toward full automation for obvious reasons. We'll have organization having to balance for a same decision set between manual decisions, the human in the loop, augmented uh, decision, which is human on the loop, right? And then a fully automated human out of the loop. And will the, will the system or can the system or the AI, I guess we're talking about artificial intelligence here, will, will it learn from the input it's getting from people who are taking who are benefiting from the system to take augmented decisions will the system then learn from them and be able to do better itself so so this is the this is one of the most critical point we're talking about decision uh, automation and augmentation uh, effectively to accelerate the, the the decision cycles to make faster decision closer to the point of in time closer to real time 24 7 this is a huge benefit it basically unclogs the, uh, the, the the decision making funnels but the point you're calling out is the most important in, in in my opinion is the ability of the system to actually build a permanent memory of all the decisions that are being made on a given topic. So the example I was giving you earlier, the system comes to you and say, Patrick, I recommend that you make that, yeah, that you accept my recommendation. You'll say yes, you'll say no. Sometimes you'll be right to approve. Sometimes you'll be right to reject, but you'll only know that over time. So, so that permanent memory is what allows the, 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 the recommendation, the quality of the recommendations to become uh, better over time. Uh, and, and um, you know, it's the story of Google, right? They have more data. They can they can make better recommendations when you do a search. It's the story of Tesla. They have more data because of their fleet of cars, so they can make better self-driving cars uh, system, autonomous driving system. And this is it's the story of Amazon that gets more data and leverage computer system, not just AI, by the way. There's heuristics. There's a bunch of different technologies to make better pr dynamic pricing decisions on time or ordering decision on time. So, the vision that we've had from day one is to to enable non-digital native organizations to actually perform like a digital native. And for that, we had to find a way to start building that data set that will allow them to get the uh, the efficiencies that that the digital natives um, have thanks to their uh, immense data set. And those uh, companies who have been successful in adopting decision intelligence, what kind of business benefits is that bringing uh, to them? And is there going to be an opening up in the future of a kind of a, a, a gap between those companies yeah. that get on this and those companies that get left behind? 
there's there's no doubt in my mind. I'll answer the second part of your question first. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that the data is the new fuel for intelligence. And unless you have, you start building that decision data and you start recapturing recapturing digitally that tribal knowledge and and augmenting it, you're going to be left behind. Um, you're you're. I was talking with a not yet a client, but a prospective client in in Europe the other day, and they were like, "Look, you know, a few years back, uh, being able to deliver um, the grocery to our clients at their doorstep within two hours was was unbelievably hard to achieve. Yet we've done it, and now we're moving to every fifteen minutes. We have to be able to deliver. Sorry, within fifteen minutes. I mean, the exit or the level of customizations of the products that you're buying, and all of that." Uh, is is all those factors are not going away, right? The, 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 there is a trend that's basically a pool uh, uh, for speed, for accuracy, and you can only achieve that um, if you have, uh, uh, you know, if you leverage fully those digital systems. So the benefits, um, to answer the first part of your question, uh, the business benefits, the first thing that's interesting to me is, um, well, it depends on the decisions that you're digitizing, right? One of our largest clients now is on has digitized 22 decision areas within their organization on a global basis, on track to go with 100 decision areas uh, this year, and the system will have delivered about a million uh, uh, recommendations, uh, which is a lot. We think about it, um, and. Um, the, the 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 benefits depends on the decisions, right? So it can have an an impact on reduction of uh, canceled orders because you cannot tell your customers exactly when the product's going to be delivered. That um, and we've seen that as a benefit. We've seen a increase in accuracy in forecasting. We've seen uh, clients optimizing uh, their procurement processes. We've seen a lot of uh, benefits in terms of. Uh, logistics and transportation, trying to optimize that process with benefits on cost, on service level, but also on sustainability, because you're now asking organization to measure their carbon footprint. But it's very difficult to go from measuring to optimizing, because that optimization is going to be an arbitrage several hundreds of times a day uh, between shipping the goods that way or that way with different impact on carbon. Very difficult for humans to actually uh, do that. Uh, computers can do that very well. It's um, basically think about decision intelligence as a intelligence layer that sits on top of your planning and your transactional tools. And that does the work, the decision making that humans are currently making. So anything that you would expect from a, from a good decision, uh, you can actually get it pretty much better and faster and more accurately with that memory work um, that I described earlier. Uh, and, and I think the benefits are are very real. Ninety three point nine Dublin South FM. And this layer sits above my existing systems, whether ERP or WMS or LMS or TMS or whatever I have. Right. Um, and therefore, it's taking the data from those systems. So how does how does your decision platform work? And for people who might be listening to this, prospective future users. Um, what does it take to actually implement this? So how are you enabling uh, the adoption of yeah. uh, uh, decision so, intelligence? So it took, um, <laughs> going back to, to your very first question about my background and, and my, my my friend Sharik Mansour, CTO's background, um, if the goal of that, that we had with the digitization of decisions, we, we, we quickly identified that we had to address four distinct areas, uh, and, and usually four areas of software that are not really uh, uh, embedded in the same uh, the same technology platform. Um, so 
The first thing, and you just touched on that, is if you're going to digitize decisions, you got to bring 100% of the uh, information that you need to make that decisions into a normalized data model. Humans are really good for for making a decision with uh, uh, um, you know missing data. That's where you experience and tribal knowledge. Okay, I don't have all the data, but I know that this is the right call. Computers are not really good at that. They need all the information. So it, the, the first prerequisite to enable decision intelligence is to have uh, a this normalized data model. We call it the cognitive data layer uh, that pulls data from your transactional system. You mentioned WMS, TMSs, ERPs, planning tools. Billions of records have to be pulled in and uh, augmented into that uh, that cognitive data layer, and that's the first set of patents and technology, um, uh, you know, that breakthrough that, that we've built because we can deploy that technology in the worst and uh, most complex environments with dozens of different systems. Um, and we basically cracked that nut. I won't go into the details of how we've done it, but it's still similar than to, to, to how Google crawled the internet. We're crawling those systems and we're able to do it without impacting the performance of the transactional system. So now you think about, regardless of the number of data sources, you plug this and within a matter of days, this normalized data model gets populated and it's refreshed in real time. So populating is the first thing, but then you have to refresh it in real time or as real time as your as your transactional systems are being updated. That's the first thing. So that's the data. Then you have to embed in that platform all the intelligence capabilities that you need. You mentioned AI, but not only. Uh, it's projections, prediction, optimization, allocation, rules. All of that has to be available natively in, in the platform. So that's data, intelligence, then it's automation. The, the decision is a complex flow. I identify the problem, I deploy the logic, I may need to validate, get some more data, go to somebody based on rules. All that orchestration uh, has to be uh, has to be uh, um, embedded in the platform all the way down to writing back into the transactional system. So pull the data, deploy the logic, interact with the users, and uh, write back into the transactional system. So data, intelligence, automation. And the last part is engagement. You are delegating, uh, uh, you know, decision-making uh, uh, power uh, to a, a system that's guided by humans, but that can actually work autonomously. So it's fundamentally important that you build the trust and that uh, between uh, the the business and, and the system, and and that comes through a series of. Uh, um, uh, capabilities from natural language processing to uh, uh, lineage uh, so that you always know what data and what logic has been applied to uh, a recommendation or a decision to the ability to track the performance of those recommendation and decisions over time. So you know exactly what value you're generating. So we had to build a platform that, that brought all those different practices together. And of course, it has to scale because you're now talking about a system that's real time and always on, that's thinking, that's learning, that's uh, that's autonomous, and and you're doing it at the scale of the largest companies in the world, uh, in CPG, in oil and gas, in manufacturing. So it, it's a it's quite quite complex. It took us a few years to build it, but I think uh, it, it also took uh, many many years of of experience in. In, in building enterprise software technology and companies and connecting with the right people uh, to be able to pull it together, not to mention- And what, and what, are, right what are some, um, what are some uh, uh, examples of how it's being deployed, say in supply chain ecosystems? Um, so it, it, the, the examples, um, let's start with, if I, if I think about uh, um, 
demand forecasting, trying to get a more accurate uh, uh, um, uh, understanding uh, of demand forecast. It's uh, it's dynamic safety stock, uh, optimizing your safety stock in real time, trying to 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 minimize the amount of working capital that's stuck in your safety stocks by by looking at the supply chain end to end in real time and, and making the right arbitrage. It's uh, it's uh, in, in in procurement, the ability to optimize when you place a PO to whom uh, and do all the controls in real time. In logistics, is optimizing the routes. Um, in um, and and I think what's very interesting, I could go on and on. I mean, there's pretty much every type of decisions that you're making in in supply chain gets impacted by uh, by this practice. But uh, maybe maybe what I call out is is a couple of things, because those are things that we've just learned with our clients over the last few years. When you are thinking, just to your question, what kind of decisions are uh, you know impacted? We naturally uh, follow the path of. What are the decisions that are currently being made? And I just named a few. And how can we deploy our technology to actually make those decisions better, faster, more, in a more accurate fashion? What we've realized since the platform became open and our clients took it and started digitizing other stuff is that this technology and the approach allows you to actually make decisions that are currently not being made. Um, and that's the most interesting part. And I think that's where you're creating value. For example, we partnered with WPP in the UK. Uh, to connect media and uh, promotion planning with supply chain. Think about a large multinational CPG company. On one end, they're working with a partner like WPP to, to run promotion campaigns and, and media campaigns. And on the other end, there's a reality of a very dynamic supply chain. So the company might actually be promoting a product that is going to be running out of stock, wouldn't be available on the shelves. Uh, and those things, you know, Amazon is able to do it because it's one integrated system. But but connecting that that dot to the supply chain dot is something that's not usually done. Or connecting demand forecast to uh, a procurement. There is a signal happening that your forecast might need increase or decrease. Do I optimize immediately in real time uh, the type of um, uh, orders that I need to place and where and to and by whom? So I could go on and on. I mean, it's but it's really interesting that. Think about your traditional supply chain decisions. Think the decision intelligence can apply to it, but really it's connecting now dots that that would not otherwise be be connected to help prevent the issues before they happen. A lot of supply chain work is around planning and controlling, but the execution, the intraday execution, where where the the reality of the plan is disrupted by reality of uh, well, sorry, the, the quality of the plan is disrupted by the reality of, of your operation. A truck doesn't show up. Uh, blah blah blah. All of that is where the, the 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 SNOE part, which is one of the areas that uh, uh, decision intelligence can really help with. And with uh, companies deploying this type of capability over the, the coming years, what do you think the supply chains of the best or the best supply chains will look like in five or 10 years time? How will they be different from today? Well, uh, I, 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 there's... Two different aspects in, in there's a there's a macro trend as I mentioned earlier around supply chain that has not nothing to do with decision intelligence uh, that to do how you build a network and and so on and so forth. But I think the supply chain operations part, right? We're running the supply chain itself. Um, I, I don't know if my facts are 100 right, but I was talking with a with a, a partner the other day. Who was telling me that, um, and this may not be 100 percent accurate. Just want to call it out, but directionally, I think it's right that Amazon had 
100 plus people in the UK running dynamic pricing uh, 10 years back, and now it's down to a handful, right? And, and, and that handful of people is sitting behind systems and making the arbitrage decisions, but the rest is being digital, um, digitalized. I think that, or digitized, I should say. Um, I believe that supply chain operations are going to look like that, meaning that you have a lot less people doing the work themselves, but a lot more people sitting behind uh, systems like ERA and, and driving how this amplification mechanism, because that's ultimately what it is, it's a decision amplification mechanism, is actually being deployed. Uh, it doesn't mean that everybody will have to be a data scientist. You don't need to be a data scientist. You need to have some data science knowledge. But I think you'll see a new role that's actually starting to emerge called a decision analyst, right? People who are going around the organization looking at how decisions are being made, which, by the way, is something very interesting. Uh, again, learning uh, as a pioneer um, uh, organization and working with pioneer clients, um, very few companies actually truly understand how decisions are being made. They think at a high level, they understand it. So we start digitizing decisions. And then when it hits really uh, uh, the field, so to speak, the, 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 the distribution center or the manufacturing plant, people say, well, that's not exactly how we decide. Now, you're smiling because, because yeah, we've kind of always known that, but now it's becoming proven. So I think the, you'll see a lot more effort in truly understanding how decisions are being made. The emergence of the decision uh, analyst uh, is, I think, uh, meant to happen. Um, and as I said, you'll see uh, supply chain operations moving from, from operators making every decisions uh, uh, to operators guiding a system like ERA to, to, to uh, you know, help scale automate and augment the decision-making mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and perhaps set the parameters for decision-making and criteria and stuff like that. So it's a very Correct. different type of role, different type of, of person, if you like, who will be employed in, in, in supply chain operations. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's a lot in this, and I think we, we, we may need to get you back, back on here for a, for a second edition. As we, we come into the last few minutes of this, we might just change... Uh, tack uh, slightly, and maybe I'll just ask you a few questions about about yourself. So, when you're not thinking about all of this fascinating stuff, what kind of things do you like to do with your spare time? Um, what do I like to do with my spare time? I you have like, any spare time? <laughs> no, no, no. That would be that, that's not true. I love. I mean, I spend time with my family first and foremost, and uh, as much time as I can. Uh, I just went back from a vacation where I had an opportunity to do some. Uh, some scuba diving with my with my son and it was uh, and, and my daughters. It was a lot of fun. So enjoying vacations uh, whenever I can. Um, I read a lot. I love music. Um, you know, enjoying a trying to enjoy social life as much as I can and, and keeping uh, keeping healthy is uh, is important. But I like to read. Yeah, if you you'll find me on a Sunday afternoon reading a book uh, or listening to music, that's probably one of my happy places. Do you have any uh, reading recommendations for our listeners? Are you reading anything inspirational at the moment? I, I can today is Monday, right? So, so I, I literally yesterday I I started reading a, a book that my kids got me for I don't know Father's Day or something on bees, and I didn't know much about bees, but it's a uh, spent an hour reading that and and the, uh, the 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 intelligence of a swarm of bee as it compared to the human brain and how they make decisions. Now we're looping back to our first topic. Um, so I don't know. I'm going to spend more time learning about bees now because I think there's something really fascinating. I know at a high level why they're important. I just didn't really know how much they, uh, how much intelligence goes into uh, into how they're they're operating. So I don't know. That's going to be my next topic for the 
for the next so couple perhaps, of years. So perhaps some, uh, <laughs> perhaps some beehives appearing around your house sometime in the future. Well, okay, little secret. I already have one. Uh, oh. We have a little place in uh, in uh, Northern California, and this is why the kids got me the got me the the, the books on the bees is because I started by getting the beehives. So uh, yes, that's uh, uh, Fred the Beekeeper is my new nickname now. I'm not sure I'm really <laughs> deserving that title. We'll see if this day in the, in the hive for more than two weeks. Excellent, excellent. And then maybe to to wrap up, then how can people find out more about Era? Where can they locate you and get in touch with you? Sure. Well, I mean, at least the, the, the easy area place is eratechnology.com, A-E-R-A technology.com. That's that's our website. Uh, or reach out to me on LinkedIn um, and we'll be happy to 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 engage, of course. Excellent, Fred. Uh, many, many thanks. Uh, it's been fascinating and a pleasure to talk to you today. And I, and I think we probably will need to get you back because I think there's a, <laughs> there's a lot more in this conversation. So I wish you the, the very best for the future, both personally and professionally. Thank you, Patrick. It was, a, it was a real pleasure talking with you this morning. Thank you. Thanks also to our listeners for tuning in again. So do stay well and keep safe until next time.